Greetings and salutations. I hope your day is both tranquil and fulfilling. I am Athanasius, and welcome back to the podcast of the Boldly Immortal. I've been getting into a lot of note-taking recently, and, well, recently being the past month, um, and technically even longer than that, but the specific method by which I've been taking notes has uh, been relatively consistent over the past month. And from that, I've made quite a few discoveries about, I guess, the, the process of, of note-taking and, and its value. And, and it's been uh, an interesting opportunity to not just explore what my, my writing style is and even what my thinking style is, but, but what note-taking is in and of itself. And to try and understand what it is that paper is good for, right? What was writing good for? And is, is it worth our time to sit down and write something by hand versus typing it? Um, and and why, is that, why is that the case? And, and so I guess I'll start with kind of my impetus for doing this. Um, I, I've enjoyed using digital planners or, or different types of planners for, for quite a while. And, and there's something to having, having the, the, the structure of the space being defined personally. I have a blank piece of paper in front of me. What on earth am I supposed to do with that? Right? It's, it doesn't even have lines for days. Like if I want anything on that paper, it has to be my own. There's a lot of power there. And that's the power of an artist. That is, that is creative power. When I don't use somebody else's planner method, I don't, I don't take what they have, I'm simply applying my own reason. Now, I know a lot of people need someplace to start. Right? They need some sort of... Uh, impetus to actually use the system and they need some sort of you know starting point where somebody else has, has helped them out to to get a, a good uh, get their feet on, get hit the ground running you know is the, is the phrase I think that that is meant here and that's fine you know if you if you need that that's fine there is power though in simply allowing yourself to fail miserably the first few times <laughs> as long as you're willing to evaluate it because self-evaluation is the key to making any system work. If you can't evaluate where you went right and where you went wrong, the system's going to fail regardless of how good it is in somebody else's mind. Like, my personal method of note-taking will not work for someone else because I've designed it for myself, for the things that I want to keep track of and to incentivize myself in the ways that I know I need incentivization. So for someone else, those incentives built into the structure, I'm going to repeat that, the incentives built into the structure of my notes, of my records, of my goal sheets, those incentives aren't going to apply to somebody else. Now, there are some universal pieces of, uh, of like lists that do exist and are helpful for people. And if you don't have any of that infrastructure, well, then, yeah, I'd say it's better to start somewhere. But evaluating the mistakes that you make is going to be important either way. And if you have control over that initial space, then the, the limit to your ability to personalize the, the system is only your own imagination. Right? To rephrase that, when you are in complete control, when you are staring at a blank piece of paper, you could do anything you want with that. There's nobody, there's no other structure telling you this is, you know, this, this is the week that you have to, you have to use a week system. Well, why? Why do you have to use weeks, right? Weeks happen to be, I would argue, a very valuable tool, um, you know, gets you from Sunday to Sunday. 
that's uh, always helpful. But but that's not that's not an ironclad rule. And if you limit yourself by saying, well, I'm gonna just, I'm just gonna use that because you know that's what's in my planner, it it. it it limits your ability to control and and think through the process of deciding that. If you have to make every decision consciously, then you have a judgment that you've made against which you can can compare your results. Right? When you make a stroke with the pen, you have to say, "Is this the stroke I wanted to make?" And you're not going to be able to say that immediately with a with a goal sheet, with a record keeping system, with notes. You can't immediately say, "Oh, wait, that's." That's not what I want because that's not what notes are for. Notes are for reevaluation. Right? So the idea I'm trying to express here is if you codify your own method of taking notes, of recording information, of keeping track of knowledge, then you will develop a personalized system by evaluating those notes and seeing, hey, I actually remember this and I don't remember that. Um, maybe I should, you know, add that into my next system. Maybe I should adjust for that. Or when you're making a goal sheet or a, a daily task list or a grocery list, I don't know, and you have certain things that stick out and certain things that fall back into the background, well, evaluate that. Does your list have 15 items on it? Well, I'm so sorry to tell you, but you're not going to get it. Right? If it's a to-do list for the day and you have 15 items on there, it's too many items. Your brain can't handle it. If you have eight, if you have eight, you know what? I found eight is a pretty good sweet spot for me. Some people it might be six. Some people it might be four. Um, I tend to think lower numbers, it's like it's just too easy. And so then if you fail any day and you don't, you only have four things you get done and you fail one of them, it's like, oh, wow, that felt like a bad day, even if you were very productive. If you have eight things and you fail two of them, it doesn't feel the same. Because rather than having three things get done, you have six things that you did that day. That feels pretty good. Right, that's a that's a that's a very satisfying experience, um, and you know what? Nobody told me to do that. Sometimes I have ten, sometimes I have twelve, sometimes I add things that I've already done. So I have like a goal list and a checklist. So I have a checklist where if like if I got something done that wasn't on the goals, I record it. Why? Because that incentivizes me to be creative throughout the day and to attack a problem if I see it. You know, if there's something that comes up and I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I can add that to my list of things that I've done this day without feeling guilty about not doing something on the goal list, right? Prioritization, you, you can do in different ways. I do it with like the size of my font. So I've created, the, the point of this is, I've created a tool using the, the things I've learned about my own mind to help me get things done on a daily basis. And my starting point is literally a blank page of cardstock. I have a single page of cardstock, which I then fold into quarters, right? Um, the you know so that you get the equal sized, basically note card shapes, and then I have note cards, right? I have good solid note cards I can hold wherever I want to go, and then now I've got this you know approximately uh, let's see, it would be eight and a half by eleven, so that's four and a, uh, five and a half, um, about four point two five by five by five and a half. So basically four by four by six cards, right? a little, little bit stretched in a certain way, but you know it, it's a decent size, can hold a lot of information, and it is whatever I want it to be. If I want to sit there and doodle, I can doodle. I'll just have a card of doodles. I'll stick that into my repository of doodles. If I want to 
take notes on a presentation, I can do that. If I want to make notes for a presentation I'm making, I can do that. If I want to make my daily checklist, I can do that. If I want to write down my groceries, I can do that. And then over, over the past month, using this method of, hey, I have a piece of cardstock, what do I want? If I have an idea and I want to store it, it goes on the paper. It's been one of my, my most enjoyable little uh, things to do when I, when I talk with people. And they say, you know, you know I, this, they talk about this idea. Or um, if, I have a, if I have an idea that I want to bring up, um, and I can say, well, I'll hold on to that thought. I'll hold on to that. And then I write it down on the piece of paper, and I pick it up, and I show it to them. And I'm like, here, here it is. Oh, I'm holding on to it. Uh, you see that? It's a pun. It's a pun. But it's not a pun. But it's a pun. Um, <laughs> got really serious there for a minute. But it's not a pun. It's real. Like, we actually can hold information in the palm of our hand, hold knowledge, right? We do that with our, with our phones, but it's not our own information. It's information that we have, you know, maybe it originally came from us, but it's no longer ours because somebody else is storing that data. Somebody else decided how that data gets codified and expressed to you and, you know, presented. When I write it down, that's mine. That is my thought completely. The only, I mean, no, I didn't come up with the ink myself. And no, I didn't make the, the, the paper myself, but I wrote it down how I wanted it written. I codified it. I, I expressed the idea the way I wanted it expressed. I spelled it the way I wanted it spelled. Maybe it's spelled wrong. Maybe there's a pun in there that I wanted to add. And there's no squiggly line under there to tell me that I misspelled a word. Sure. Maybe it's spiraling around itself. Or maybe there's a little like a star somewhere, just arbitrarily. Uh, the, the joys of a piece of paper is that it is, it is mine to do with, as I will, complete creativity. And, and I don't have to think then, oh, well, you know, where is this? Where is this? Like, I, I have that physically. Paper is my external brain. And it's not just a brain of, of facts and logic. It is a brain of art and, and poetry. And so then the piece of paper becomes a way that I can express my unique identity to myself and question why I have these, you know, pieces of myself a little bit you know it's not just like well here this is this is a good proper decent way of organizing all your information in a linear fashion no no that's not how i write that's not how that's not how i think i mean anybody who's listened to this podcast knows that i don't think in linear argumentation right i don't think from point to, to point to, to premise to premise to premise to premise to conclusion evidence all the way along i'm a dancer with my mind. I, I tell, I tell our, my, my thoughts like Quentin Tarantino tells a story. You know, it jumps around a little bit. It dances and it breathes. And there's some points there that probably go into spaces they probably shouldn't go and it might be a little bit graphic at times. Um, perhaps, perhaps not. Um, but but the, the, mind, the mind becomes able to be expressed in its entirety through the larger context of what's going on not in some sing not, not by expressing itself in a singular straightforward mechanism some people's minds are singularly straightforward okay sure mine isn't and if yours is singular and straightforward and there's a method that you have that allows you to do that fine but for the poets and for the artists out there i would encourage you be a little creative Nurture that a little bit. Build it up. 
make your your notes a little bit beautiful add some personal flair to them and, you know if you like writing in cursive write in cursive if you like you know making little doodles on the side do that but make it memorable make it personal because if you make it personal and th then it becomes memorable and that's the point of writing it down you don't write something down that you want to forget that's a, that's that's probably one of the the dumbest ideas that anybody could ever have. I want to forget this idea, so I'm going to put it on a piece of paper. And so that I, if I run across this piece of paper again, I will remember it. Right? That's, that's pretty counterintuitive. So we write, we write things down in order that we might remember them. And if we want to remember them, then we ought to write them down physically. Right? In, engage your senses. If you have really nice pens, they'll even have a smell to them. Right, maybe not like a sharpie all the time, but you know, just there's a, there's a tactile feel to how the the pen scratches the paper, and how it runs out of ink, and you have to scribble it so that you make sure it has all the ink that it needs because it's a, a faulty pen, and you really need to buy more pens. Um, and so then you you know you scratch it, and then you end up writing down this idea, and then yeah, now you have this idea in your hand, and what do you do with it? Where where does it go from your hand? Well, it. it it goes into the world and it sits there for a while, somewhere where you've placed it. And then if you place it in the right spot and you come back to it some other time, suddenly you inspire yourself and you become your own source of wisdom because your own ideas are now being spoken back to you by you from outside yourself. You're rethinking about the idea that you've codified here. And sometimes it makes no sense whatsoever. And you're like, I have no idea what on earth I was thinking. And sometimes it makes such absolutely perfect sense that it is impossible that you were the one who wrote it down because it's far too reasonable. And boy, I know that feeling. You know, where you're just like, no, this, this, this is, wow, that's an interesting thought. And you're just like surprised by it. And oh, look at you, you're surprised by your own thinking. Well, yeah. Because sometimes a, a, a phrase makes sense in its own context, and it's just like self-evident there, and then you come back to it at a later date, and you're thinking, how did, how did this make sense? Because this is, this is not what I expected. This, this wouldn't have just popped out of nowhere. That's where, that's where we start to, I think, get into another idea of, of words being spells, being a, a sort of very deep magic, right? That, that, and magic, you know, it's a, it's a strange word. It's a very strange word, and it's a strange idea. But if we had anything that we could call magic in our world, it would be words. It would be rhetoric. Because using words, you are capable of changing people's being, changing people's preconceived notions, changing the way that people think about life. You can do that with words. You can't do that with paintings, necessarily. I mean, you, you could, with a really good painting, perhaps make somebody think about their life, but you can't really get them to change everything that they know. You can't do that with a, with a movie, even, as much. A silent movie? Definitely not. Now, music, music is quite good at this, right? Music, perhaps, you could get somebody to think about it, but you need to tell them what to think, because people think with words. Now, some people codify their ideas as pictures, right? Don't, don't hear me saying that everybody conceives of arguments and, and 
debates and you know re- reasonable drawn out dialogue in their heads. Some people are image thinkers, you know, as the psychologists codify it, and some people are verbal thinkers, as the psychologists codify it. But either way, when you speak those thoughts, you speak them out loud. And in order to communicate them with the world, you have to, you you are going to have to speak to to express them with another person. You're going to have to speak because that is the simplest form of communication. It's the first thing we learn as humans. Like that's that is that is where we we. And it's not the first thing, right? Obviously, you, you learn how to walk, but that's that is that's a big dividing line. It's a massive dividing line, uh, but those who can speak and those who cannot. Um, scripturally, it's one of the it's one of the major signs of of Christ is that he can he can bring he can make the the deaf speak. That's one of the miracles that that is surprising, is is that because that power belongs to God, because speech is God's work, right? That the breath of life, it is what sets us apart from other animals. Other animals learn how to walk and they learn it faster than we do. No other animal talks in our everyday lives, right? I mean, you could have a, a, a bird that resembles human speech, but they're not thinking, they're repeating. And we know that, and that's why we laugh, that's why we find it entertaining, and that's why we are diverted, because animals don't speak and we do. We are the only magicians, we cast our spells with the experience we have using the, the methods of rhetoric, persuasion, argumentation, using our cho- uh, chosen class of magic. We, we enter the fray and we cast it out into the world and a physical thing happens and then some absurd magic happens in their brain. You can read uh, Pastor Jonathan Fisk's Jonathan Fisk's book, Without Flesh, uh, to, where he kind of goes into the, the, the beauty of, of, of words and how they actually get spoken first and, and the, the magic of speech and then the magic that it actually gets tr- transmitted, that, that words are physical once you speak them, right, because of sound waves. And then, when you, and then you hear them because they're a physical thing touching your physical ear and they enter your brain and become electrical signals. And suddenly the thought that I had is in your head. Right, and I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, and, and and marveled at the fact that, well, that's happening over this over the internet too. What somebody I may never have met in my entire life is now having my words affect them, having my words in their ears, and meditating on them, whether deliberately or not. That's magic, and 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 while that and that's a beautiful thing. So, in this way, then there are two ways to make a thought physical. To bring a thought into reality, all you need do is either write it down or speak it. And I would argue if you do both. And you, you do both in such a way that you are then reminded of them later. Right? You speak to someone who will ponder them and speak back to you. You write it down in such a way that you can return to it and analyze it. You write it down in such a way that somebody else reads it, responds to it, and and brings it up later so that you can further discuss it. If you do that, suddenly the idea the idea is real. Even if it's false, it's real. Even if even if there's lies or, or deceptiveness there, it exists. And that's the that is the danger, right? That is a dark and powerful magic. 
to make a thought real, to, to bring it into being, right? It's not flesh, right? We're not making the word into flesh, but, but, but effectively, I would say, in the same way that, that when God creates Adam and, and, and then gives him his first task of naming the animals, right? The scriptures say, whatever Adam called it, that was its name. Adam was given authority to declare what an animal was. And, and the thing is, because he was in a perfect state, he was right. He was right every time. Whatever he called an animal, that's actually what it was. And it just, that's the case, right? Whatever he called the Tyrannosaurus Rex at the time, that's, well, it was an accurate depiction of that creature. That is magic, right? It's not an evil magic, but it is a deep, a deep magic. Because it is the twisting of words that forms the foundation of all false theology. It is the twisting of, of ideas and, and their physical reality that, that constitutes the deception we're facing, right? This is, why, this is why I keep harping on the sorcerers, right? On, on Azula and her lies, on, on visual media and its deceptiveness, because it makes you forget the words you're hearing. It makes you forget to, to vet them, to consider them carefully, to, to test what you're breathing in, to question whether or not you're eating sugar or not. Right? What are you ingesting and what are you then, right? You are what you eat. What is, what is becoming a piece of you? And, and what, what comes out of you, right? It's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out. Well, what's coming out of you is going to be affected by the things that you're imbibing. And so what comes out of you in terms of your uh, mind is going to be what you feed it with and the lens through which you process that information. So if you feed yourself junk, and then what you're going to create, the, the ideas of yours that will enter the real world will also be, the, they will resemble that junk, that garbage that you put in. If you feed yourself with the pure, nourishing, fulfilling words of Scripture, of, of the Psalms and Proverbs. Oh, I've been getting into the Proverbs on a, you know, somebody's recommendation, and it is, boy, the Proverbs. It's like it, there's wisdom in the Book of Wisdom. And it seems like the most self-evident thing, but it's not something that we have made a deliberate effort to to study uh, at my church or in my my family or anything. It's like that wasn't just something that they said. Oh yes, read a, a proverb every day. Like write it. No, write it down. And see, that's oh, that's where it's been so satisfying. I'm not reading from some digital page. I am reading what I copied off of the digital page onto a note card that I wrote, and it suddenly became my own idea. And then I had to understand what I meant by that. Right? Why on earth did I record this? Well, I assume it's valuable. Well, let's find out where the value is. That's good. That's healthy. I, I almost envy the monks of the, of the Middle Ages in their monasteries getting the opportunity to copy down the works of these great writers and to copy the Bible over and over and over again, to write it out over and over and over again. 
because that is the essence of thinking. That is where our intelligentsia was born. Repetition of writing ideas such that they became our ideas. Because paper is the external mind. Writing is the external mind. It is the means by which reality is transmitted through time and space such that the ideas that you have can last generations. Because technology will rise and fall. This podcast will not last my lifetime. I thoroughly believe that. That the records will somehow be lost, or the restrictions will come down, or perhaps there will be such a significantly superior way to transmit ideas that it will become obsolete to use voice podcasts. Either way, I know going into this that what I'm doing here is not going to last that long. The effect may, right, in that the ideas are spread to others, become a part of them, and by becoming a part of them, shape the way that they wrestle with the world. Not that you agree with me, but that you take what you listen to here and you allow it to shape the way you think about life, whether you agree or not. That, I hope, will stick. That is why I continue to do this instead of, well, simply turning to writing. Also because, how do you compete? Um, how do you learn? How do you learn to codify your ideas? Well, for me, that's the verbal expression, and from there, perhaps, into the writing. But I do know that there are books that I own which will far outlast me. It's why book burning is such a terrifying idea, a viscerally terrifying idea, because it's about taking ideas and saying, we're going to end them. They are no more. They're not worth keeping. This magic is too powerful for us. And as such, we must not allow it to endure on this earth. That is what burning a book means. It is taking the magic that you possess and prohibiting it from passing from generation to generation. And that is what we must fight against. Not by simply owning the books and preventing them from being burned, but by knowing what's inside of them, by caring what's inside of them, and by caring about why we keep the book in the physical world. Why do we treasure the physical thing? Why should we? And why should we if we don't write on paper? If we don't use paper, why should we respect it? We have no reason to. If all we read is digital, if all we absorb is video, video is visual, if we don't write anything down, why should we expect it to endure? Why should we expect ourselves to respect that which does endure? Why should we respect the written word when it's not important enough for us to actually participate with? That is the deep magic. It is there. It is there to be preserved, not simply to sit unattended, because that is not preserving it. Use it. Cherish it. Dwell in it. Love it. And live with it. Make the books of your life a codification of your own mind. Make, make them an expression of what you think of and how you think and why you think it. 
And then when you read a new book and then you can evaluate whether or not that is consistent with the world as it is, right? not as you see it, but as it is. And then you can ask the question, is this something that I would like to retain in my mind? Then once you retain it, or disp- then, you, then, then feel free to retain it or dispose of it as you will. But if you consider it valuable, perhaps find somebody else whose mind it does actually fit, whose, whose mentality it belongs with. But respect the book. Respect the books and write your own. Write your life. Remember it. Take the ideas and hold on to them because they're there in your hand. Not as ones and zeros, not as high and low electrical signals stored in some digital memory bank. No. As ink on a page because that's where somebody put it because somebody thought it was worth passing to you. However many years ago, they thought it was worth that. And while it is helpful to have some accelerating technologies, and they are good, it's good to get back to remembering why, and remembering what, and remembering how all of this works. What's it doing? Who's using it, and why are they doing that? Why is it written? These things are written, that you may believe what? Right? And for the scriptures, that's that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the King, the Anointed One, the Son of God. For your English textbook, it's written so that you may recognize the, the rules of English grammar. For a novel, it's written there, so that you may believe the truth of the archetypal story contained therein. Or evaluate it, I suppose, if it isn't in fact true. Um, But it's there for you. It's there for you. And the blank piece of paper that's sitting in front of you is there for you too. It's there for you to do with it what you will. And it's not going to write itself. It's not going to clean itself, and it's not going to analyze itself. It's not going to improve itself. You, in that moment of writing, are the creator, mirroring, reflecting the work that God did upon you in creating you, in speaking the world into existence, and yet using his own hands to form you in the womb. That, That when he reached down into the dust and formed Adam, breathed into him the breath of life. He gave Adam something that the fall has not entirely corrupted yet. Now, I should rephrase that. You are corrupted, but it hasn't hasn't removed it and destroyed it. It's, It's the spark of creativity. It's the ability to speak, to think, to write. But I repeat myself. So write. Write something bad. Enjoy the process of studying it again and remembering it again. And learn who you are and why you believe what you believe and and what you're thinking and what you need to get for the grocery store. But write, because it's, it's good for you. And then whenever you think, remember to hold on to that thought.